When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. For the ones who get going when the going gets tough and the ones who know we're tougher together. For the pathfinders breaking new ground, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry as well as fast access to experts and 24-7 customer support because we know you have people depending on you so you can always depend on us. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. All right, it's Film Study with Ken McCusick once again. And with this time, we've had a little bit more time to process the loss 34-23 on Thursday Night Football to the Bengals. We are recording this on Sunday afternoon. We just saw the Steelers lose again, so we are starting to get some view of what this uh, AFC North is going to look like. Ken McCusick, how are you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing all right. Not bad for a uh, Sunday afternoon. So, the, <laughs> Thursday's game, it's funny. It's, that's, it's one of those games that you don't really want to talk about. You want to move past and get on with. But here we are. We've got a... Another week until the Ravens play. We haven't broken down the offense yet, so we're going to do that today. But I'm hearing if you turn on 105.7 on Friday, if I talk to people at church today, I talk to people over the weekend at things I go, and everyone wants an excuse and a, some specific thing to blame for this loss. Yeah, it's just the way sports fans are. They, uh, it, you know, I think the, the key things are, they always want to find some solution to what went on, not just accept it for what it is, not just look at it and say, 
you know, that's maybe a slightly below average result, but we got the right players in there and we got to ride it out again kind of thing. It, it just, I have to find something. And usually they want something that's a quick solution to the problem. Right. You know, U.S. CEOs are blamed of being very short time, short term thinkers, but sports fans take the cake in that regard. Sure, sure. It's get it's get rid of Flacco, put in Lamar. Flacco's done. Yeah. Um, it's it's yeah, it's the defense is old. Get rid of them. It's <laughs> it's the injuries. There, they, you got to blame. There's uh, what is there? Thirty guys that get, take the field throughout a game, and when we as sports fans want to blame one person for the entire loss, and that doesn't <laughs> yeah. count coaches. Yes, yes. So uh, uh, obviously not uh, not a reasonable reaction to the thing. You know, if, if the, once the season is lost, I'm sure it'll turn into fire everybody, cut Flacco, don't even wait for the end of the season. Before the season started this year, it's like cut Flacco and use the money on somebody else. Well, there, I mean. That's just not understanding the situation at all, because the, the Ravens would have had to take a $28.5 million hit to cut Flacco this offseason. Oh, and can, there wouldn't have been any other money. There would have been less money to pay everybody else. Ken, it, it's sports fans. Look across the street, and they're saying, cut Chris Davis and use the money. Well, you don't get any money back if you cut Chris Davis. So the Oriole fans are going through the same thing, and there's a lot of overlap in the fan base. There you go. But... uh. But we clearly firing everyone's not the option. What? Let's blame something. Is it as we talked on uh, Friday evening? Is it the defense that that losses came specifically yeah. losing C.J. Mosley within the first five minutes of a game? I think we found out through the rest of that game that that was probably it. That Mosley was lost on the first three and out on the last play. So they were fine with Mosley for those three plays. Then. In the second half, Weddle took over the defensive signal calling. And I haven't found the exact spot, but there's a, there's a point on the last drive where I think I see the green dot on Owasu's helmet still. So he was in there for all 28 of the first half uh, points calling defensive signals. So I think they've learned their lesson now. I think it'll be Weddle now until Mosley is back. And I think that that makes the most sense of the alternatives they had, with the exception possibly of Jefferson who is going to be a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage, but that's fine. I, I think Weddle has done it before. He's an excellent choice, and clearly based on how they played defense in the second half and they, they returned to shutting down some of the, some of the uh, Bengals' offense, I think they were fine in that second half. They were fine for that first drive. You can really point to what happened in between that first drive and the end of the first half is what caused the Ravens, cost the Ravens the game. All right. Well, let's get to – let's – talk about some of these other complaints especially in focus on the offensive side and let's talk with, let's start with Joe Flacco um, a lot of people saying this is the worst game Joe Flacco has ever played he threw what three interceptions two two uh, interceptions in the game still uh, threw two, two touchdown passes right. I should tell you right there a guy who's had some zero and fours in fact in fact had five interceptions at Buffalo a few years ago uh, you know it's not the worst game of his career right. he it wasn't the worst anything of any result for the Ravens in this game. It was just, you know, a disappointing result in a coin flip game, you know, a game they had roughly a 50% yes. chance to win. They didn't get it done. Uh, they Joe Flacco had ample time and space in this game on 27 of 57 drops backs. That's 47.4%. It excludes those two spikes, but that's not a terrible percentage in and of itself. It's a little bit below average maybe or right around average. But there were a couple things that did make it 
worse than it actually was numerically, is that the Bengals used a four-man pass rush on 40 of their 57 snaps. And, and I don't know if you can remember this, Josh, but during the Marvin Lewis era, that's really the formula that has killed the Ravens, is Marvin Lewis has been willing to rush four with whatever defensive coordinator he's got. He's planned to rush four. Right. And they've ended up with seven-man coverage that has frustrated the heck out of Flacco and, and led to a lot of interceptions and a very low passer rating by Flacco in Cincinnati. By the way, that in those terms, this is a great game at Cincinnati for Flacco in terms of passer rating because he was in the 70s. Uh, but anyway, Atkins and Dunlap, again, tremendous amount of pressure in this game. And you know they got decent pressure using mostly a four-man rush. They weren't quite as conservative, in fact, as the Ravens were in terms of their rush. And they only got similar results in terms of pressure, even though I know everybody remembers Flacco as being on his back the whole night. And part of that is because the uh, uh, ESPN or uh, who, who it's the game on NFL Network um, yeah. ha, ha, publishes a knockdown statistic. I think what they mean in that is passes defense, though I'm not sure. But they listed as 19 knockdowns. Well, if it's quarterback right. hits, you know, it's not it's not that the, the Ravens had were knocked down nine times or Joe was knocked down nine times in this game. Uh, not as bad, obviously, as a lot of people would think for 57 passes. He was sacked four times. I think you'd have to expect that out of 57 passes. Uh, you know, he threw two interceptions. You know, that's not too terrible. Uh, he, he did okay relative to his opportunity set in terms of yardage. So 376 versus 343 expected. So he was on the plus side there. Now he negated that with a poor TD to interception ratio, just two and two. Uh, so anyway, I, I, all in all, it was a mid-range game. Flacco characterized it correctly after the game as saying, you know, they fought to the end and they came up short. And, uh, right. That's the way to look at this game, especially for a game that that the all the Ravens' offense was put in a deep hole pretty quick in this game. Right, that limits their options. You're right, Josh. And, and when you're in that hole, a lot of the things like using Collins as much as people would have liked them to use Collins, especially since he's got an <laughs> incredible number of missed tackles created right. in two games. You know, they they uh, they really they blame it on on Harbaugh. But in truth, the game situation did not allow for them to do a lot of, of running, really, at any time during the game. Right. When you fall that far behind, you have to throw the ball. It's just how the game works. You are gonna you don't have enough time left on the clock to be running the ball. There you go. Even when it's that early. Um, let's get to the offensive line because the offensive line, people, you mentioned that uh, ample time and space seemed pretty typical. But watching the game in real time, it seemed like they were getting through our line pretty good. Um, and let's start with Stanley because he seemed to struggle a lot. Do you think he's hurt maybe? Yeah, he's, it's fairly obvious he's hurt. Um, one of the other good analysts locally uh, mentioned that this is Michael Crawford, that, that he sees play after play that Stanley's favoring that left knee and, and it's giving him trouble. And, and I, you can see it. I mean, you can see he's kind of hobbling around that way. And, and the left leg being that he plays on the left side is his plant leg. So he's got to do he's got to be able to do more uh, with that. So anyway, that's a that's a that's a problem. So a lot of what Stanley brings is mobility. Uh, this is a game he didn't have a single block in level two. So I mean, it gives you an idea about about some of the problems he's having with his legs. But in the end of the game, and this was with. The second play of the last drive for the Ravens, they were down 11, so they didn't have, really have a good chance to win anymore. But uh, Geno Atkins ran a stunt that was right between Stanley, and he was the underneath guy, and he, he hit Stanley 
and immediately Stanley turned away, wincing in pain with the with his holding his uh, right arm. So I'm concerned about what that might be. Shoulder injuries, obviously, very serious for offensive linemen. Hopefully, this is nothing of that nature, and it's a less serious problem. Stanley would not. Uh, report on his own injury. He deferred to Harbaugh, which is the correct thing for players to do. But uh, obviously the Ravens cannot accept an injury like that. Right, right, of course. And that's something that I well, – maybe we can get to a little adjustment they can make because we saw an adjustment later in the game with Brown. But we'll get to that. Um, let, me, let, me, let me go a little further, Stan, because yeah. I don't think I mentioned anything about his scoring. We just talked about him being hurt. Okay, right? sure. Okay, so he gave up a sack and a third in this game, a full sack to Hubbard early on. Uh, he had a false start, three and a half pressures. You know, some of these numbers you kind of have to mute by the fact that the Ravens had 79 offensive snaps. That takes out the two spikes. They had 79 snaps, and that's a lot. So you can you can make some mistakes in a game that's that, that long and still score reasonably well. Uh, his ended up being .58, and even with an adjustment, it's still only a D. Uh, not what we want out of Ronnie Stanley. He's you know he's one of the star performers on the line and really needs to be at least the Ravens' second-best lineman fairly often. And uh, this game, he was he was probably their worst. Okay. Um, as a, he's, he and Lewis, we always pair them together. So, he, But Lewis had a different game. He seemed pretty good, especially against the run this week. Yeah. So, uh, or with he, the run. Yeah, when he's, when he's blocking for the run, he did very well. And, and a couple of things that are just really encouraging about his game, if you want to pick something great out of this game – um, the Ravens only ran the ball 22 times. He made six out of six poles. That's terrific. He made all eight of his blocks in level two. So got to level two, made eight for eight. That's very hard to do, by the way. Um, just lining people up in level two is not an easy thing for linemen, especially inexperienced ones. Lewis has not played all that much total, but it was one of the things that impressed me about his rookie year at guard was that he seemed to be pretty good and decisive in level two at, at finding his block. And to see that continuing and not just an aberration that, that we observed from his rookie year, which seems a lifetime ago, uh, is really nice. So a good game from Lewis as a run blocker. Unfortunately, he didn't really have the good game as a pass blocker. So uh, he had, a, he had a, a bunch of varying mistakes. He was bowled twice by Billings, who was a defensive tackle who plays next to Atkins on the inside. Uh, Atkins ragdolled him for, for a quarterback hit. It ends up being he took two-thirds of the charge, but still bad. Um, he, there was a, a sack by Atkins that got split three ways. Lewis got a third of that one. Um, what else really went bad there? He, I did want to talk about one block he had in particular. It's, it's a highlight block that I just – you don't see these of this type. And it, I, offensive linemen, if they're keeping a, a tape of their own great plays from their career – which they should start doing at an early age. Don't don't wait until you're, you know, 30 years old to start pulling pulling these blocks off the right. off the tape. But this is a good one. Um, he pulled on a block and he blocked a defensive edge, Jordan Willis, and it was a very square, hard block that knocked him back. Didn't knock him down, but knocked him back, such that Lewis uh, was able to work off that block, get into level two, and then pancake another defensive lineman, Hubbard, right at the whistle. And you really do not see that one. And that's blocking for the cycle on one play because he pulled, he made a block in level two, he made a pancake, and it was a highlight. So that's all the things you can do in terms of special uh, blocks that I categorize uh, in my system. All right. Um, Skura at center, is he still the guy? Well, he, you know, he had a good first week, so that's something. We knew this was going to be a real challenge with some bigger defensive linemen for the, for the uh, Bengals, and he was challenged to be certain. 
I think what I'm bothered by most is that he was beaten by a lot of different people. If he'd have been consistently beaten by Atkins, I wouldn't like it, but I but I I'd understand that the other team was really trying to take advantage of a mismatch and and doing it well. But if I look at the notes and I provided all the individual plays, there's seven of them where he took a negative score. Uh, the names of the opponents are Atkins, Glasgow, Hubbard, Billings, uh, Atkins, Nickerson, and Atkins are the ones who uh, got the got the events against him. So five different names in that group. Uh, he had a, a variety of things, uh, uh, pressure events and whatnot. Uh, scored a D overall uh, and barely got into the bottom of a D at center. But uh, anyway. Uh, Frustrating day, I'm sure, for, for Matt. Uh, he probably wishes he could take a mulligan on this game and uh, also probably happy he's moving on to a different opponent that doesn't have the kind of monsters in the middle that uh, that Cincinnati has. Yeah, and Atkins was having a good game. Um, it seemed like Marshall Yanda was also having trouble with Geno Atkins. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's one of Marshall, one of the few players that Marshall Yanda has actually had difficulty with over the years. But he surrendered two quarterback hits that were on pressure initiated by Atkins, and they came in a three-play sequence. So if you get a, go to the third quarter, 4-13 on the clock, you'll see on the first and third play from that point, he, he allowed a full pressure to Atkins, and then uh, two plays later, he allowed the pocket to get flushed by Atkins. And no one really took down Flacco immediately, but that was the, the initial pressure is what caused that uh, quarterback hit eventually. So it, it, the charge goes entirely to Yanda on that play. Uh, overall, not a terrible game for Yanda. You know, he had he had 72 out of 79 blocks. Aside from those two quarterback hits, he only allowed one other pressure to Atkins. Uh, 0.81 per play. It's a B with adjustment at guard. So if that's your worst game you're going to get out of Marshall Yanda, I say fantastic. If it's uh, even what we get out of Marshall Yanda for the whole season, I still say pretty damn good All if right. uh, if he can continue with that. What happened with Yanda, like, stepping in front of Joe? Yeah, good point. You, see, you saw those plays, too. This was weird because there were two consec two plays, not consecutively. They actually happened at very different points in the game and a very key, very key plays in the game. But on Flacco's first interception, which was Q1-12-24, he, he saw that Dunlap was pressuring um, uh, Hurst and had him beaten to the inside for what was probably going to be a quarterback hit or a sack. Yanda peeled off, walked directly across that walked, you know, moved directly across the, the face of Joe and delivered a punishing block on Dunlap that negated it to just a pressure. And you kind of have a hard time wondering how to how to score this because Flacco threw an interception on the play, did not appear as if Yanda moving across his face was really the thing that caused it. But on the other hand, I'm sure it didn't help. And Yanda is making a help block there where he probably – might have done something very bad, like a fumble or taken a sack, if he had not uh, gotten the help from Yanda, if, if Hurst had not gotten the help from Yanda. So that, that was interesting in its own right. And then the second one was actually on the touchdown pass to Brown, the second one from 21 yards. Yanda did the, almost exactly the same thing, where uh, Hurst was beaten again by Dunlap on the outside. It looked like it might be a quarterback hit or a sack. And Yanda helped him out, knocked him off the, knocked uh, uh, Dunlap out, and Flacco connected with Brown for a 21-yard pass. But again, Yanda moved right across Joe's face, and just a kind of a weird situation happening twice in game, one game. Extra weird. Uh, I did not charge Yanda on either of those plays. He actually had made a good block on his own right to help out Skura on each of those. I thought that would have been very unfair, but 
uh, some question as to whether Flacco might have been bothered by particularly the, the, the first um, uh, crossing of his face by Yana. Right, right. Um, moving on, Hurst. No, nothing really stood out watching Hurst in real time. Seemed like your average Hurst game. Did anything stand out for you? Well, Hurst didn't allow uh, the quarterback to get sacked. So I start with that, and Stanley did. Hurst didn't get penalized, so he's avoided some scoring problems right there. And those are often things that we've seen out of Hurst in the past, is that uh, he gets beat, and then he gets penalized because of that uh, a fair amount. So he didn't allow a bunch of quarterback. Uh, so he didn't allow a, a sack at all. He did allow portions of two quarterback hits. And he, he allowed four total pressures uh, spread out over five plays, or actually two half pressures and three full pressures. So, you know, overall, it wasn't a terrible game because it was a long game in terms of snaps, 79 snaps. Worked out to .72 per play. And when I adjust for Dunlap, who's one of the real high adjustment players in the league because he's so effective, that's a B- minus after adjustment. I, I think it's important to know, oh, first of all, Hurst moved to left tackle for the last 10 snaps of the game. So he had a lot of Carl Lawson at the end of the game. He's a very challenging um, pass rusher on the left side. And the other thing to, to kind of note here is that Dunlap is an extremely long player. He's 6'6". He's got some of the longest arms of any defensive lineman in the league, if, if not the longest. And he really uses his length exceptionally well to get by offensive tackles, either to the outside or when he can't do that, to get his hands up. And I swear he must get half of his passes defensed against the Ravens, or that's the way it seems. It's not really happening that right. way. But you know, he's a guy who gets 10 passes defense per year, uh, sometimes more. And uh, he had a couple in this game. And it just is, is something you wish that, they, that linemen could stay engaged with him to keep that from happening. But Hurst disengaged with him a couple times, and Dunlop has a good way of pushing off to disengage and then get up in the air to try and block a pass when he's otherwise, you know, impeded from getting to the quarterback. So I thought, you know, that was something that Orlando Brown, who's an even longer player with 36-inch arms, would have a good chance against Dunlap. In fact, when when Brown was drafted, uh, I thought that that was a a player that he was going to have, potentially have some good success with. So Brown will have to learn from this game, learn from Hurst's mistake, and make sure he continues to punch even after – Dunlap disengages, you know, flail at his arms, do whatever you need to do to, to get him uh, uh, from getting his arms up all the way. All right. All right. Now's the time to talk about Orlando Brown Jr. He got, We got a little bit of playing time on Thursday, but I'm sure we'll get to it in the mailbag as well because there's a lot of fans calling for him to be back mm-hmm. on this line. Right, and I don't think that's unreasonable. He, he entered uh, for the last 10 plays. He made all 10 of his blocks here. You know, he's obviously facing Dunlap, which is a challenge for him on those last 10 snaps. Uh, he doesn't get a grade because it's less than 20 snaps, and he didn't have any special events, no level two pancake, no highlights, uh, none of that. Um, but he's now played 35 snaps in the two games. He played 25 snaps in the first game, 10 snaps this, 35 total. He's collected 31 of the 35 points for a .89 raw score. That's more than half a game of typical snap count, and he's at a solid A performance level so i think you got to think about you know making the move here pretty soon hurst hasn't played badly but he could play elsewhere and unfortunately i'm afraid stanley may be injured and maybe hurst at left tackle anyway but i'm looking forward to seeing brown sooner rather than later at right tackle one way or another right and that's where the hurst in or the uh stanley injury could make room for that 
could make room for him. They could also decide after Skura's kind of weak game that they want to make the move now where they have 10 days between games to move Lewis to center and and get uh, Hurst in at left guard. So there's a couple different ways it could work out that Brown ends up playing after this right. week, but we'll see how it works. And you're right, with 10 days, it makes perfect sense to go ahead and make the change now. Right. They, re- they really only have three times where it's easy to do, Josh. They have, they have this 10-day period, they have a bye week, and then there's one more during the season. Really? And I'm forgetting. I don't know, because they don't have another Thursday game. No, they don't have another Thursday game. They don't have a bye. But no, you know what? It was, it was, this is the second of three, because the, the, the first one was between the last preseason game and the first game. Right. So they missed that opportunity. We're on the second opportunity, and then number three will be on the bye week. Sure. All right. Uh, speaking of the Ravens making change, let's talk about Lamar Jackson, because they've used him more than we all expected, but we're not sitting here saying he's taking Joe's spot. No, I don't think anybody's saying that, whether they, whether it's the, the snaps he had as an actual quarterback when he came in in the third quarter against the Bills, or he's had 11 snaps, five against Buffalo and six against Cincinnati with Joe on the field. And let's say, you know, some of this is let's just arm our listeners with the information they need to argue this at the water cooler, whatever side they would like to take, whatever side you would like. To take. All right. Well, you should first pause this episode, go back <laughs> about four or five weeks to the Dominique Foxworth interview where Dominique was very clear. And this is how the Ravens should play it out. And it's exactly what the Ravens did. So now yeah. that you heard that old interview, let's start. Let's, here's how you can be up to date with the modern talk. There you go. Okay, so 11 plays in these two games, and he's run the ball three times himself for one, five, and zero yards. So uh, three carries for six yards. We're not getting that excited about. A fourth carry, which was to involve him, happened in this last game when Allen took a, a, a run left for seven yards when he's obviously trying to reverse to um, uh, Lamar Jackson but couldn't get the ball out of his hands because he, was, you know, he swarmed over. And he took a loss of seven on that play. So you can either count that as part of Jackson's running results or or, uh, or not. But it, it is, you know, party to having Jackson on the field that everybody was keying on him and figuring out, oh, this is a reverse here. Uh, the best efforts when he has been on have been in the fakes that have occurred. So when Flacco has been at quarterback and or when he's handed the ball off, uh, he's got a run for 16. They've got a pass. Uh, sorry, a pass for 16. Um, a run for 14 to Collins, and another incomplete pass uh, that uh, that he threw when he was he got the he got a handoff, rolled around, and then was forced back in the other direction to, to reverse his field and throw the ball away. Um, he's lined up six times at wide receiver. He's lined up five times at, at quarterback with Flacco also on the field, and uh, always seems to go in motion pre-snap to be in the backfield where he can either take the ball or uh, fake taking a handoff. So it's kind of the old wildcat look that the Miami Dolphins used to play where Ricky Williams was always in motion coming coming through the backfield. But uh, but in any case, uh, he has not yet been used as a wide receiver. They haven't tried to get him in space to make a catch and then make a play up the field. I, I imagine that will come at some time, but uh, uh, he, you know they're trying to get him to handle the ball as well, which I think it causes even more problems for uh, offensive coordinators. Right, right. And... It is interesting that it is every time he's on the field, he is moving. It's not one of these plays where you see the quarterback go out to a wide receiver position and he just stands there at the line. 
Right. He, no, he's, they don't... he's moving and faking something. Yeah, that that's exactly right. And you, you can you can probably see some body language occurring with with Flacco. I know the the announcer, and I don't remember who it was on the Thursday no, night game. They but, were but... they were pounding it to death that Flacco was not happy. Yeah, that Flacco would not, you know, who would be in this? I think it was Troy Aikman, actually. He was saying, you know, other big-time quarterbacks that I've known that are pocket passers, they wouldn't tolerate this kind of crap. And I think it's I think it's pretty clear that Flacco does not really like it. That right. it, They're bringing uh, Lamar in always. Another thing I didn't mention is he always plays on first or second down. He's never out there for the money down, the conversion down. But if you're Flacco, you're saying, why is this boob getting me in third down and long situations where I have to bail us out then with a harder with a harder throw that entails more risk for me? So I, you know, I know Flacco probably wants to see what is good about this, and he wants to have it have s- somehow make his job easier or make the offense better or make it more difficult for the coordinators on the other side. But you know, I, I think it'd be easy for him to say, I just can't see it right now. Of course, if this was a dynamic offense and this was adding some excitement to the game, instead none of these plays have really worked. Mm-hmm. And and if you're looking at it from Joe's view, he has three plays to get to get ten yards. And if he's suddenly losing one of those plays to one of these trickery plays that so far seems like it's only adding yards that what he needs, it's moving backwards. I can see that being frustrating to Joe. Yeah. Um, the announcers were pounding in the ground that years ago, Joe said the Wildcat was like a high school offense and not going to last. Um, I think we've seen that it hasn't really lasted that much in the NFL. Well, they Those have the, RP, the RPO, which is kind of like it, that is, right. is fairly prevalent today. Right, so. but they've had to adapt since yeah. Joe made those comments. Um, so, yeah, I think that's the big thing is just if it works. And I, I was thinking about this yesterday. The Ravens went into this with, we're going to show Lamar, get Lamar on the field every week so that the uh, so that the defense has to think about him ahead of time. And it made me wonder about, well, what if we didn't do that with Lamar, they never thought about Lamar, and then you threw Lamar in and went on a key play. And I wondered, where we've seen trick stuff like that in the past, I wonder if that's also a sign of Lamar's not ready to be the guy that you can count on in a big play. So let's just put him in there so they're thinking about him way more than they have to. Yeah, I, it, there's lots of ways to play this. What you, what you said initially was let's not put him in for a couple of weeks maybe and then let's put him in one play where we're actually going to him. Right, exactly. Yeah, and, and maybe as a receiver, that would be the big change up that they could, right. they could try with Lamar Jackson. Yeah, they could go a week off and they could – Put, make RG3 the backup quarterback for a week. And first of all, RG3 is capable of a lot of things that Lamar Jackson is doing right now. Perfectly capable. He's, yes. he's He makes the point. He's faster in terms of straight line speed. He's not as elusive, but he's faster. And he certainly is is going to be, I think, better throwing the football You're at right. this point in, in his career. So I think you, you can do more with that. And then it also it, it keeps the other defense coordinator guessing, is Lamar even going to be active? And so RG3, do we have to do we have to – uh, prepare for him the same way we prepare for Lamar anyway, which may be true, but you you, you at least put an additional doubt in the opposing coordinator's mind. And at some point, by the way, you got to put an actual value on that doubt. Right. What's right. that doubt worth? <laughs> you know, because they're they're clearly giving up yards to do it. They've averaged three point four yards per play on the ten plays that were not penalized, and then they were they had an offensive holding on the eleventh. So uh, 
Yeah, they haven't they haven't got much out of the out of the option so far, so it better be leading to something else. Right. I like that idea of using of using RG three in the exact same role, and a guy that then maybe that maybe RG three can actually throw the ball, and maybe that'll give show Joe some give Joe some confidence that these plays can work. Um, as a fan, I watch this, and I feel like all of this is building up for Sunday night against the Steelers in a couple weeks. Yeah, it should be fun. I mean, the Steelers did not look like they had much of a defense today. They're very badly um, beaten up at cornerback yes. right now. So uh, lots of opportunities if the uh, if the Ravens want to want to do. I, you know, it's a game where Collins should play a very big role because getting that Steelers defense tired and keeping them on the play on the field for a lot of plays certainly would be fun. Right. All right. Uh, let's get to the mailbag. Get in your questions on Twitter. Just use the hashtag film study mailbag and that way I can easily find it and Ken can find it and we can go through them as we record each episode we try to do this every single episode we try to get through through a couple questions first one up for you Ken is uh is how much of the last hit on Joe that caused the fumble was Yonda's fault for not cleaning up the defender at the last minute I I did not charge Yonda on that play for a missed block so that tells you where I am on it. For starters, it was well after the three-second point at which the, the the protection has to hold up. And Yonda had to go a significant distance back across the pocket. That's not a normal responsibility to have to charge him for. Now, if if I had charged him for something there, it would probably just been a missed block and not a not a quarterback hit, which is a minus three charge. A missed block is a zero. So, uh, you know, I, I understand what you're saying. I don't really think too much of it can be blamed on Yonda. I think the, the problem was up front with the pressure initially from Skura getting beat by Atkins and also just the fact that Sean Williams was a free runner on the play and had an awfully big head start. Right. Um, all right, Spencer is asking you, how do you view the probability of an offensive line shakeup, such as Brown to right tackle, Hurst to left guard, Lewis to center? following the unit's performance at Cincinnati. Okay, well, I'm, I'm going to take that to mean by week three. Yes, okay? that's, what I, that's how I take it as well, over these 10 days. Right. I would say the chance is pretty good. Um, not, not, not necessarily exactly that. I think the, the most likely shakeup is Stanley sits out a game, Hurst is at left guard, and Brown's at right tackle. That's the most likely thing. If – if I, I'm gonna I'm gonna break this down a little bit for you, I think the chance of there being a change in the starting lineup is probably about seventy percent, about fifty percent of that seventy percent. So five sevenths of that seventy percent is gonna be just an injury to Stanley that creates a a, uh, a Brown to right tackle situation out of uh, necessity, not out of choice. And about maybe two sevenths of that is that they choose to make the, ch the change now. They've seen enough from Brown, positive from from these. 35 snaps so far that they're ready to have him go in at right tackle, keep her still on the line at, at, at left guard and, and make a change at center. So I think that's a possibility. Lewis has played reasonably well the first two games. He hasn't been lights out, but C plus and a C in the first two games. Uh, certainly if you, if you could get that kind of performance week after week, that would be okay at left guard. Uh, I think Hurst can probably do almost as well from from the standpoint of a of a run blocker at that position and and Hurst is a pretty decent pass blocker uh, Lewis might be better at center he he probably is better at left guard given what we've seen in terms of mobility where there's more opportunities but uh, yeah it's possible 
you know, so so they have laid it out for you. Twenty percent chance that that it's that it's the full shakeup that that Spencer seems to want, which is Brown to right tackle, Hurst to left guard, Lewis to center. Fifty percent chance it's it's a move of Hurst to left tackle for injury purposes with Brown coming in at right tackle, and thirty percent chance it's the same starting lineup with no changes. All right. Um... All right, we've got some more questions in here. Next one for, is from Shay. How will Hayden Hurst's return from injury affect Flacco? Well, you know, it's another sure target on the inside. I think it's it, it'll certainly be a positive thing to have Hurst back. Uh, he's got pretty good targets right now. Boyle's been penalized four times already, but he's otherwise had a good uh, start to the season catching the ball. Hurst is a little more of a snatcher, a little bit more of a receiving threat, probably a little bit less of a blocker than Boyle right now. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, I'm sure he'll be in there pretty much right away taking snaps. Uh, Mark Andrews, of course, has played well, so he he's has a risk of losing snaps uh, when he comes back, particularly against Buffalo. I thought Andrews was terrific. Uh, he had the nice uh, touchdown reception, used his body well at the goal line in this game. So, uh, you know, they've got a lot of options at tight end, and, you know, Always the bugaboo tight end is someone's going to get hurt, and when that happens, you know you still hopefully have three active guys who are pretty good at least. Right. Uh, the big talk this weekend is the offensive line shuffle. So we got to that a little bit. So Clockworks, Jay, Dan, Minion, Hunter, we all co- we covered all those questions basically in that last one. Uh, Shay also wants to know how can this offensive line handle the Broncos' pass rush. So he's looking ahead. Have you yeah. had a chance yet? Yeah, I mean, the Broncos' pass rush is is pretty tough, particularly on the edges, and uh, it will be a challenge. And I, I, I guess Stanley's injury makes me very concerned that he's just not up to the task, and I'm not really even sure it matters who the op- opponent is at this exact point. Like, you know, if if it wasn't some snaps from Miller uh, or you know other good edge rushers like you know, Dunlap or Lawson or anybody, really. I, I think Stanley right now versus an average pass rusher is probably going to struggle a little bit. So that's my fear on the left side. On the right side, uh, you know, my normal fears of Hurst being on the outside are, are there. Uh, if Brown is on the outside, I think he'll be a little bit better as, as a pass blocker. Uh, should give the Ravens some additional oomph in their power run game to have him out there. So, uh, you know, they have... They have ways that they can get better, but uh, but the outside is certainly where the danger is now in terms of the pass in terms of the pass protection. Gotcha. All right. Uh, two more questions from at Josh Soroka on Twitter. Huh. First one being the Ravens used a tight end for a run this past week. Is yeah. that because of our lack of a fullback position? Uh, they don't, I don't know why they wouldn't want to give the the back the ball to Ricard there, other than they had to. They had to declare the two-back set when they went to the huddle. So if you think about being a defensive coordinator, they have to react and put their package on the field, which is dependent upon which offensive players are in for the Ravens. So if they have a tight end in there instead of Patrick Ricard, they're not sure whether he's going to be used as a fullback or split out or where he might be exactly. So in this case, I think that's what the, the gain was from putting Williams at fullback. And then Williams handled the ball just fine, and there is, for some reason, a huge gaping hole on the left side, and he ran for seven yards. Right. So, uh, uh, nice play, and and I thought it was nice design too by Morningwood. Also, with with the defense being banged up and and on the field so much that game, they probably wanted to hold on to Ricard Ricard for that side of the ball. 
I would think. Yeah, could have could have been. It was a lot of a lot of snaps on both sides. More, okay. more for more for the Ravens offensively in this game. So they really had more of a chance to tie her down the Bengals, even though it didn't yeah. really seem like they no, were all that didn't tired. feel that way. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, finally, I just wanted to ask you about Josh Gordon. Uh, weird story about how the Browns. The story came out yesterday that the Browns have informed him that they're going to cut him on Monday. Mm-hmm. But then the storyline today is that they're trying to trade him today before cutting him on Monday. Right. Uh, lots of people throw the Ravens out there. That doesn't make any sense to me. How do you feel? Yeah, I, I'm a hard pass on um, on Gordon. I think he comes with too much baggage. And it's the kind of baggage, boy, you really don't want to have to deal with. The kind of like, I, you know, I want to call my grandma. I, I, I'm, I'm not feeling good for this game. I'm just going to go home. I've got to get my myself in order before you know i can help the team kind of thing it's just the last thing i want to hear on this team they've got some decent receiving options this year josh gordon would give them a threat of a type they do not have right now a very tall deep threat and that's a that's a great combination to have it'd be really good for flacco but i think it's just too much of a risk and i also think gordon will not be cheap so the, the the Browns will trade him and they'll probably only get a you know maybe a sixth round selection in return for him so it won't be much that they get other than salvage value but in terms of what you have to pay Gordon uh, that could be more so you uh, uh, you have to figure that as well and uh, I, I, I my recollection is okay so Gordon is a vested veteran but I think he might still only be a third year player technically in this league we'll have to get that straight right. If you ask on Twitter tonight, the guy to ask is at Ravens Salary Cap. He'll tell you exactly what Josh Gordon's situation is with regard to what fourth-year rights they would maintain for Gordon after he completes this season. So that would be an interesting thing. He's been in the league for six years, by the way, now, and I believe he's only a third-year player. So, Yeah, if any for any of those guys who are out there saying the Ravens would be a perfect fit, I don't think they've ever heard of the John Harbaugh doghouse. <laughs> I don't think Harbaugh and Josh Gordon would get along. No, I think it'd, it'd be difficult even for Harbaugh to entertain the idea of, of having him in. The situation would have to be more desperate than it is right now. And I think, frankly, the Ravens, you know, watching from home today and seeing that the Steelers and the Browns both have their, their problems and that they, you know, they didn't get knocked, they didn't get blown out of the house by the Bengals and they think they can identify why it happened. Uh, I don't think they feel like they're, you know, outside the bounds of winning the division right now. I think that they're they're a candidate to do it. Yeah, no, I know we're only on week two, but we've seen a lot of football already this year, and there's no perfect team out there. There you go. So, um, yeah, we'll see what happens. All right, uh, Ken, all of this is up on Russell Street Report. All of these timestamps are broken out and exactly uh, easy to walk through with Game Pass. Yeah, that's right. So that's that's how I write my articles. Thanks for mentioning that, Josh. I do appreciate it. once in a while. I need to remind people. Uh, Tony Lombardi was on me about some scoring this week, and he did it the right way. And this is what you do is, please don't give me a generalized comment about how you thought the grade was too high or how could it possibly be so high because that's exactly what I told you in the article. I've given you the play-by-play references. Go to the individual plays and tell me, no, Ken, you're full of crap. That play Q3619 is not Lewis's fault. It's Hurst's fault or whatever you want to say. But be specific, and, and, and I've given you all the information. I've been as transparent as I possibly can be. Love to hear from you about it, particularly if you think I've made some kind of a scoring error. Uh, if, you, if you're a player out there listening to this thing and you'd like to – I missed a pancake block of yours, as I did for Austin Howard last year, by all means, chime right in, and I'll, I'll, I'll correct it for you. Right. Uh, now, now, for Austin <laughs> Howard, you, you, you made the correction. Did you make a correction for Tony Lombardi, or did you follow up with – Well, no, Lombardi's look at this. question – 
Lombardi's question is a good one. I did change the scoring in the in the uh, the adjustment that I, I put in the charts. I didn't change the article, but I changed the adjustment in the charts. But uh, Lombardi made a point that that um, uh, Stanley got beat on a two point conversion attempt, and the two point conversion attempt I haven't don't have a scored snap, so oh, okay. uh, I made an adjustment to his to his subjective uh, an adjustment to his subjective adjustment. In order to reduce his his score overall by 0.03. Yeah, that, so, that yeah. makes sense. That's a good point. Okay. Yeah, I, I like that. Um, all right. Uh, what's coming up on uh, the podcast this week as we prepare for the Broncos? Okay, the big one. We, we've got Cody Rourke in on Tuesday night. We'll be we'll be recording that, so I have several days to listen to it and hear all about the Broncos' strengths, which I'm sure are going to be seeming very intimidating uh, coming into this game against uh, against the Ravens at home next Sunday. But we'll have a chance to talk a little bit. This this episode, as, as all these get-to-know-the-opponent episodes, is really about the Broncos. Be very little, maybe a tiny amount of storytelling about the Ravens, how that interacts with that, but really very little about the Ravens at all on these episodes. So most of this is going to be me getting Cody to talk about. Cody's a very knowledgeable analyst uh, guy, and, and he follows the Broncos. And uh, I think you're going to be impressed with him, and uh, hopefully you'll you'll enjoy the show. How, how many times in that show can I bring up the Mile High, high Miracle? Uh, do, you, do you want to try and, and make an over-under bet on this? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I mean, or, or, or should I go the Tim Tebow route? I, I would go as, you know, feel, feel free to do that, Josh. I would limit the total number of times just, just, just because, you know, we're having guests on. I don't want them listening to a previous episode. Okay. And, you think you know, I'm just going to pick apart every every other team that we have have on here? Yeah, I, well, I don't want them to get that impression and have it make it harder for us to get guests. All it's right. actually very easy. It's, these guys are great. Good Tell point. us about Birdland Radio. Yes, good point. We do have the, we will have to have a Steeler guest on at some point, so I don't want to set the president up ahead of time. Uh, BirdlandSports.com has all of these podcasts and many more podcasts, including my show, Section 336, which is Baltimore Sports Talk. A lot of baseball, a lot of uh, Ravens, and a lot of just whatever else is going on in our life, as this past episode had very little Ravens, very little Orioles, and we still managed to fill an hour because... Oriole baseball right now is not entertaining. <laughs> wow. So what it, what's the go what's going on for someone who doesn't really want to turn on the TV for the Orioles right now? What's going on with Adam Jones sitting out some games? They have how many outfielders do they have that they're really trying to look at? I don't know all of them. I I don't know what's going on. It's a very weird story. Adam Jones his contracts up at the end of the year. He mm-hmm. is the face of the organization. He has done a ton for this team, a ton for this city. He should be out in the out. He he handled the handoff of center field to Cedric Mullins as well as you can expect it, better than any other veteran should handle that, and really gave Cedric everything he needs to succeed. And the way the Orioles have treated him the past week and a half has been horrible and not deserved, and the reporters don't understand it. The fans definitely don't understand it. Today, Buck Showalter was asked about it, and his response was something about, well, I want uh, Adam in the game as much as possible, and the front office wants him in the games as much as possible, but none of that makes sense because you Mm -hmm. know it's not Adam Jones pulling himself from these games. Right. So it's a very weird situation that's very frustrating for the fan base. And I've been pushing on Twitter that the Orioles need to have an Adam Jones appreciation night 
before the end of the season. That that would be really nice. I mean, they they could bring him back for a one day retirement, kind of like with with they sometimes do with football. Um, and I'm to... I'm sure they will. He is an mm-hmm. Orioles Hall of Famer. He's not a mm-hmm. Hall of Famer. He's an Orioles Hall of Famer. That's, that's right. So he will be back. But this year has been so bad and so rough to be an Oriole fan. And Adam Jones has been nothing but professional and declared his love for the city that the team owes it to him. The fans need a chance to go fill up the stadium and thank him before he leaves while he's still wearing the orange and black. And there's there's every reason for the Orioles to do that because they're certainly having trouble with numbers right now. So if they yeah. have an Adam Jones, extra bobblehead, extra fireworks, whatever it is. I, I've been tweeting at him. They don't care. <laughs> they, they do not pay attention to my Twitter. Okay, well, that is really a shame that uh, they wouldn't do that. I I don't think Adam Jones deserves to have his number retired, which is obviously going to be a little contention at some point. Okay, I like I I do not want to be the New York Yankees and retire everything. Uh-huh. I like the rule that you have to be in the Hall of Fame, but there's other ways we can honor Adam Jones, and I'm open to those discussions. Sure. So, all right, Ken. Well, we will talk on Tuesday to get back into football and get ready for Week Three against the Broncos. For the ones who get going when the going gets tough. And the ones who know we're tougher together. For the pathfinders breaking new ground. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as fast access to experts and 24-7 customer support. Because we know you have people depending on you. So you can always depend on us. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch, no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.